All right, so the first story we are looking at, we're at the end of chapter four, and just setting the stage uh, for the rest of the tables over here, uh, this is the story of Jesus calming the storm. So they've left. Actually, let's have the tables. What did you guys see in the story? What happened? What reactions did you all see? So the two things I wanted to point out just initially, for those of you who don't know the story, Jesus gets on the boat after teaching, and then he falls asleep. Now, that tells us one thing. Uh, he's human. I love that. I love finding aspects of Jesus' humanity throughout Scripture. Like the passage, I believe it says it's almost evening or evening had come upon them. The tra- like the words in there mean it's like it's about six o'clock uh, in the evening and Jesus gets on the boat and goes to bed. I've never gone to bed at 6 p.m. If I ever go to bed before nine, it's like I'm mean, super exhausted. So I can just imagine Jesus is dead tired. He's teaching to the crowds. He's teaching to his disciples, whatever that may look like. He's like exhausted and he's able to sleep. So I really love finding aspects of Jesus' humanity. But I think his sleep says something else. He's asleep on a boat at sea, but there's also a storm. How many people have been on a boat? It's an obvious, a simple question. How many people have been on a boat where it's like stormy or there's just giant waves? There's quite a few people. Was anybody sleeping during that? I would be super frustrated. Will was sleeping. So he, there you go, moving along, let's go on. Um, no, if like, I would be getting super seasick. If I was you guys, I'd be, Kendall is over here throwing up. Like, like Jesus is asleep on a boat at sea and there's a storm there. It's chaos. The disciples are freaking out. They're going to die. And Jesus is over here snoozing. What does that say about Jesus or the situation? Anybody? Anybody thought? There's peace. Yeah. There's peace and, I, and trust. Like Jesus has peace and trust in his mind that God will get them to the other side. He's perfectly sound, asleep. He knows what the Lord has commanded. He knows it's not his time to die. And he's perfectly content just sleeping on the boat. Now, uh, I wanted to get to the reactions uh, because I feel like that's what ties these stories together. Uh, the first, there's, there's three rebukes in this passage. The first one we actually see from the disciples to Jesus. That's a fun thing to think about, people rebuking Jesus. It blows my mind. Um, the disciples come to him and they're like, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're about to die? I think that's such a silly question. Jesus, do you even care? That's, that's a goofy question. Does Jesus care? Of course he cares. But they're in the midst of this like turmoil, this panic. They're afraid. Jesus, do you even care? That's a goofy question. But honestly, it's not uncommon today. We often hear, how could a loving God do this or do that? If he loved me, why is this happening? Those kinds of questions. I don't mean to make light of our afflictions, But Jesus in this picture is giving us a representation of, uh, we need to look at the bigger picture here. Our afflictions are real. There's things happening. But Jesus is asking us to go a little bit deeper in looking through this. The second rebuke uh, is Jesus rebuking the storm. I would have loved to be able to fly on the wall in that situation. Or even if Jesus wanted to show me in this lifetime what it would be like to calm a storm, that'd be pretty wild. But uh, he, he calms the storm. He says two things. He says, Peace, be still. Now, I always have read that as a, I grew up a Christian, grew up in a Christian home. I always read that as like Sunday school Jesus, where he's like, he slowly gets up from his bed, waltzes down to the front side of the boat. It's like, peace, 
be still. You know, just like super simple. But actually, that's not what happens. The, the, the Greek words have this sharpness to, to the tone. Jesus saying, peace be still, is Jesus sharply saying, be silent. Like, shut up, storm. He's literally like saying, shut up to the storm. Be silent. Another word that uh, is translated as muzzled. Like, muzzle yourself, storm. Like, you know how you muzzle a dog? Those are serious words. Like, muzzle yourself. Be still. Be silent. He's just commanding the storm, and it ceases. I, w- I would have loved to see that. The third rebuke comes from Jesus to his disciples, and that's where the passage ends. Jesus rebukes his disciples. Uh, he addresses the question. They're like, why do you, do you even care? He's like, guys, are you, why are you afraid? Do you not have faith? Do you not trust me? They've just seen, like we pointed out, all these miracles happening before all these teachings do you still not trust me yet he's asking the disciples where what's in your heart are you afraid do you fear or do you have faith fear and faith don't mix uh it's one or the other and jesus asking uh the disciples what do you have here so nusi when we're faced with these impossible situations of life maybe a storm like an actual storm or just a, a season of life an affliction or a relationship, confrontation, an illness or a disease, when things afflict us, what's our reaction? Are we going to be like, God, how, how could you do this? Don't you love me? God, how, why is this happening? But Jesus is asking us, guys, have faith. Trust me. He's asking them to put their anxieties and their worries aside. He's got it all in control. All of our anxieties, all of our fears, our finances, our health. He's got it all under control, and he's asking us to trust him. So the story begins with fear. The disciples are, like, rushing down at Jesus, but it also ends with fear. So as the passage ends, we see uh, the disciples are actually more afraid of Jesus now than they were afraid of the storm. That seems really weird to me. But uh, the story here is explaining that uh, the disciples didn't have the faith yet. There was a storm that Jesus wanted to show them uh, that it's okay to, to trust him. They didn't comprehend this, um, and they ended up being more afraid of Jesus because they didn't trust him, and there were supernatural things happening. It was disrupting their lives. So that kind of plays into the next story. Uh, you guys had chapter 5, verse 1 through uh, 20, I believe. What, what happened in that passage? What did you guys see? Let's set this scene for the rest of the room. Jesus finally makes it to the other side, and they are greeted by quite the character. Now, this, geo- just this geographical landscape, uh, they, le- they land in this gr- basically a graveyard. There's like all these limestone rocks with caves and stuff, and people basically bury their dead in it. He's in a graveyard, and out of a tomb, this wild man, like this demon-possessed man, comes charging them. That's a, that's a crazy, I would get back on the boat, but I'm not Jesus. So um, that's, a crazy, that's a crazy thing. Mark goes through and describes like things that this demon man does. He's running out of the tombs. Uh, he's living there day and night. Uh, he's shouting things. He has, people have tried to bind him with chains, like metal chains. And not only does he bust out of them, he breaks the shackles into pieces. 
there's just like there's like it's commonly known that demon possession like has supernatural uh, effects on people. So maybe like strength or something. But this man is able to bust out of metal chains and is running around uh, in, like crazy. Uh, Mark just describes this place where he lives, this graveyard, and then he uh, quickly turns uh, to focus on Jesus, which is really cool. This man, uh, or the spirits in this man, recognize Jesus. They see him uh, from a distance, and this man, full of demons, runs up to Jesus, falling down, saying, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjourn you by God. Do not torment me. Little side note, I always think of like the hyenas from Lion King whenever like the demons recognize Jesus. You know, like Mufasa, ooh. So that's a little side note. Uh, probably just ruined the emphasis. But that's where my mind goes. Um, but this man, these demons recognize Jesus, even from a distance. And they're like, Jesus, what do you have to do with me? Uh, we actually see this back in chapter 1 in Ed's message. There's another demon-possessed man, and the demons recognize Jesus. Like, what are you doing here, Jesus? This is my territory. What are you doing? Jesus uh, commanded the demons to leave the man, uh, but the demons started to like, try to negotiate like that would work. Um, and Jesus asks them, uh, what's your name? And they say, I am Legion, for we are many. Uh, back in those days, a legion of like Roman soldiers was like 6,000 men. So there could have been 6,000 demons in this man, if, if that's what this meant. Whatever it is, this guy has a lot going on. Uh, and they begged Jesus not to harm them, uh, but rather they asked to be sent into the herd of pigs nearby. Mark says that Jesus gave him permission, like Shelley pointed out, uh, and they left they enter in these pigs, and these pigs charge down the coastline and into the ocean. That would have been a crazy th thing to see. But it's also a beautiful picture of how Jesus loves one man. He's willing to sacrifice 2,000 pigs just to see this one man free. I love that. Uh, so as we, that's kind of setting the stage. Now let's look at the, react, the reactions of the people. What did the people see? There's a, there's a town or cities. Uh, it says there's about 10, 10, thank you. Uh, there's about 10 towns or 10 villages, 10 cities in this area. And people are well familiar with this demon-possessed man. And now they see him walking around, fully healed, in his right mind. And they beg Jesus to leave. How bizarre is that? Like, they're begging Jesus to leave. Their first reaction is fear at this miracle. Now, I, I guess I can understand if you just lost 2,000 pigs. I'm sure Sam knows. Uh, I didn't mean to actually give you the story, but just so happened to work out. Sam has a pig farm. But if he lost 2,000 pigs, that would be huge. That's a huge amount of money. That's a huge amount of, like, assets like to, to rely on. That's your future. That's your kid's future. And they've lost it. So I guess I can understand, but the people are valuing the pigs more than this man, this man's freedom. And they're afraid because Jesus is coming and disrupting their normal life. Just like on the boat, Jesus calmed the storm and they were afraid of the supernatural things. They're now afraid of the, the, the power that Jesus is coming and teaching and proclaiming uh, freedom from bondage, and they begged Jesus to leave. Uh, so Jesus gets back on the boat, but right before he does, the demon 
the formerly demon-possessed man. I like to say formerly because I'm sure you didn't like being called the demon-possessed man. I don't like being called Doubting Thomas because that's not me, but <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, but this man comes up to Jesus and begs him to take him with him. This man asks Jesus if he can follow him. And Jesus has a, a very unique response. He says no. But he wanted him to stay and tell the people, tell the, his friends and families in these villages, tell them what I have done for you. And the man stays, and he goes, and they, he proclaims what happened, and the people marveled. Like we were pointing out earlier, Jesus uh, does this miracle, and they reject it. But this man comes back and says, this is what Jesus did for me, and they accept it. It's a bizarre <laughs> Bizarre situation. But what I want to emphasize here is this man is called to stay at home. For his mission field wasn't with Jesus uh, out uh, teaching, but his mission was to be a witness to his friends, his family, and his home. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. I'm sure some of us can relate. It's probably far easier for some to leave everything here behind, go into the Middle East, go into Africa, or go into Asia, and follow the Lord. I'm not dogging missions. I really think it's valuable uh, and it's needed. But sometimes we have to ask what the, what the Lord is actually calling us to. Is the Lord calling us to uh, go to the ends of the earth, or is he calling us to go to our neighbors? Is he calling us to go to our friends or our family? So this story, uh, it begins with fear as the people are afraid of Jesus, and it ends with faith. Um, the people rejoice and marvel that Jesus did that thing. So, next story. The story of the sick woman. What did you guys first describe it for the rest of the room, and then what did you guys see the reactions? Uh, what happened in that story? Um, but tying off of that, yeah, this woman's desperate. It's been 12 years. Like, it says that she has spent everything that she has on physicians, on people, to try to, to try to fix this. Like, everything she's had, she's, she's spent it all. All of her hope, everything else that she has done. Twelve years. And Jesus is, it's sad that Jesus is her last hope, but Jesus is her hope. She knows. She goes in this with faith. She knows that Jesus is her best hope of being healed. That's awesome. And, and she's, she's not, like, she is unclean. Like, culturally, that would have been an unclean uh, person, and they wouldn't be welcome around other people. But this lady is pushing and shoving through a crowd that surrounds Jesus just to touch a, a part of his garment, like the fringe or the corner, whatever the robe, like, part. You know, he's just, she's just got to touch just a little bit of Jesus. She's pushing through everybody. It's interesting. It says that Jesus uh, felt, or the power went out from Jesus. The woman knew in the moment she was healed, and Jesus knew that something had happened there. That's really cool. This woman's healing came from Jesus. I like to think of other attributes of Jesus here. It's his wisdom that we long for. It's his peace. It's his mercy. So it's, it's not things that we can create, but it's, it's Jesus's healing. It's Jesus's peace. It's Jesus's wisdom and patience and goodness. All the things that we seek for, they're Jesus's. But Jesus knew uh, something, this power had left him, and he immediately looked around. He's like, who touched me? Now, I was going to have an example where everybody stood up, and I like run through the crowd. I'm not going to do that. But uh, there's a crowd surrounding him. 
everybody's bumping into him. Have you been like in a large crowd where everyone's kind of bumping into each other? They're all trying to get to Jesus. But Jesus notices one person touch him. And the disciples, he's like, who touched me? The disciples are like, well, that's a silly question. We're all bumping into you. Like, what do you mean who touched you? Jesus is like, no, there's someone seeking me. There's somebody seeking me that is intentionally wanting to touch me. And Jesus is looking for this woman. Uh, I wanted to point out that uh, this is applicable today. We can be in this room surrounded by believers singing worship songs and not actually touch Jesus. We can read the Bible. We can go to uh, small groups and not actually encounter Jesus if we're not seeking him. And that's sad. I've, it's so common. I grew up in a Christian home. I've been around this my whole life. I'm sure some of, maybe you share, share a similar experience. But sometimes we can just get so familiar with these holy things that we don't recognize them anymore. We don't expect to see them. We're over-familiar with these things. But Jesus is looking for people who are seeking him. It's, the crowd isn't pushing this woman towards Jesus. She's not relying on them. She's pushing and shoving to get to him. So in our circumstance, it's not this room that's going to push you to Jesus. You have to do the pushing and shoving. It's hard. It's hard work. I don't, I'm not going to lie. But praise God for the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Uh, we can close our eyes and try to shut out that mental crowd, all the commotion in our minds, and say, Jesus, I'm here. Touch me. Or I need to touch you. Praise God for the Holy Spirit in that. So kind of coming through this story, uh, the woman is healed. Jesus uh, tells her, woman, it's, it's not my robe, but it's your faith. He's specific. It's your faith that has healed you. It's unique that she comes back in fear. Um, I don't want to dwell on that, but I want to dwell that this story uh, begins with faith. She's pushing through the crowd. It does end in fear as she's coming back to Jesus. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. You are healed through your faith. Now go and be in peace. So the last, the last story uh, for tonight. Um, Jairus, is that how you say it? Jairus' daughter? I'm always terrible with names. But you guys have Jairus' daughter. Kind of a unique situation. This last story happens right in the middle of this story. So what did you guys, what did you see? All right, so summarizing the story of Jairus' daughter. Uh, you guys did a great job. So this story begins with faith, as we see uh, it, before it's broken up into two. There's this uh, synagogue ruler, this well-known man, believes that if he could get Jesus to come to his sick daughter, that he could heal her. So the story begins with faith. The daughter of the sick ruler uh, or the daughter is sick, and the ruler's seeking out Jesus, and before Jesus is, get, is able to get to her, she passes away. And everyone uh, in the story is like, don't bother Jesus now. She, she passed away. There's nothing he can do. There's mourning, but there's people doubting, like, don't, don't bother him. He can't, he can't do anything now. But Jesus comes in. He's like, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Now, that, that's, that kind of throws you off for a second. You're like, what do you mean, Jesus? We know what death is. 
It's all around us. But she's not sleeping, so they laugh at him. The passage says the people laugh at Jesus. Bizarre. And so he, he sends them out, and only the family's allowed uh, inside with the child. And Jesus uh, gets next to the girl uh, and says to the family, do not be afraid, only believe. And Jesus takes the hand of the little girl uh, and says, Tethla kumi. I can't, yeah, there you go. He says something in Hebrew. But it's translated, little girl, rise up. Little girl, get up. And she did, and, every, and the whole room was amazed. Uh, but everybody else had been sent out. There's an aspect here of Jesus, uh, well, Jesus finishes the story by saying, don't, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell, don't tell people about the miracle that you just saw. There's an aspect of this where Jesus wants the people who believe to reap from the miracle. He has other instances where everybody reaps, but this family, he's specifically saying, if you don't have faith, you won't reap the miracle. So Jesus is saying, don't be afraid, only believe. Uh, the last thing I want to point out from this passage is the, the sleep. It's beautiful that to death or to Jesus, death is only sleep. That's, that's beautiful. He knows there's going to be awakening from death. And as believers in Christ, we have that reality. Death, though it has the final word in all of our lives, it's not the end for us. There will be a resurrection for all who believe in Jesus Christ. And death is not the end. Praise God for that. So this final section, uh, I'm going to read it uh, as we finish up. We're in Mark 6, 1 through 6. Um, I'm going to read it and then uh, wrap it all up here. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where does this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And Jesus could do no mighty work there except he laid on his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief and he went about the villages teaching. So Jesus went home to the people who he knew, the people who he loved, uh, the people who watched him grow up and they misunderstand him. They don't, they don't see what he's trying to say to them. He's misunderstood and that's, I can imagine that's a very lonely place. I'm sure some of you have felt that you either go home, uh, if you uh, weren't a Christian, now you're a Christian and your family doesn't understand what's going on. That's a very lonely place to be. And that's where Jesus is at. They, his hometown doesn't know. They're like, isn't this the carpenter? Didn't we just watch this kid grow up? And now here he is saying these mighty things and doing these righteous miracles. Again, these people were so familiar with Jesus that they couldn't see what he was doing. 
And I pray for New City that we don't become familiar with the things of God. I pray that we're able to uh, recognize what he is doing. Um, they, didn't expect, they didn't expect it because they had become so familiar. Uh, just like the people in the crowd with the woman, they didn't expect it. Uh, but the woman was seeking Jesus. We don't want to become over-familiar with Jesus. We don't want to stand by just watching Jesus walk by. We need to push and shove to get to Jesus. And as Hannah comes up uh, and we move into a time of communion, um, this, is some, this, is a, this is an action that can quickly become super familiar to us, and we can just pass it on by. We can come up, take communion, the bread and the juice, the gluten-free crackers, and we can just pass it on by just like normal. But there's an opportunity for us to seek Jesus here. There's an opportunity for us to pour uh, into this moment and recognize that it's a holy moment. These elements, they could be anything, but these symbolize Jesus' body broken for us. And as Hannah leads, leads us through that, I want to encourage you guys, don't come up here and just take it because everyone else is. Come up here seeking Jesus. If you need a push and shove, do it. That's cool. We won't judge you, but there probably will be some people coming around praying for you because uh, you may need some prayer. But push and shove to get up here. Seek Jesus.